Clovercrest Media Group presents a CMG podcast. Keys to the city. Keys to the city, baby. When you see us, so you know. Crossed up by Colby. Well, floated Shaq. And then Shaq goes like this. And the rest is history. Pay attention. Don't tell me what to do, devil woman. Speaking of those Lakers. But I, but I, hold on, fun. But I didn't make my I didn't make my I said Denver's going to win. Yeah, you did. You said that. There's no other show like that. Clovercrest is doing great things right now. Streaming everywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our main event. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Throwing Jabs Combat Sports Podcast. I'm your host, as always. Big Jace joined by Joe and Jared. Finally got Joe back this week. My voice is a little shot still, but I'll be all right. Okay. And I'm oh, fired up and God. angry. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were able to get all that sand out of your vagina? I, I did. <laughs> a lot of crevices in there, you know? All right. Let's start things off. Let's, let's get into it. We, we had a couple controversial finishes last week. Starting off with boxing, Estrada wins a split decision against Chocolatito. But is it a just decision, Joe? I mean, one of the judges is under investigation by uh, the, by the promotion for his card. So it, it was this the right decision in your I eyes? No, Chocolatito won that fight. Uh, <laughs> this corrupt judge, either his only excuse could be I thought <laughs> Gonzalez was Estrada and Estrada was Gonzalez. He doesn't. He can't tell the difference between Hispanics. Would be the my only guess. time. This is one of the only times they all look the same. My savior. I would hope so. <laughs> either either this guy's just a racist and can't tell the difference, or he had already he had already had his scorecard filled out and he already knew who was going to win win the fight. Interestingly, right after the fight, I mean, right after the fight ended, Eddie Hearn said, "Now we can have the trilogy." I mean, this was, I think, the fix was on from the get-go. The AP, the commentators, and anybody on Twitter who was watching the fight scored at 115-113 for Gonzalez. This is a shame, man. People wondered whether uh, Chocolatito had one more big performance in him, and he did. And he walks away with an L. Who knows when the rematch is going to be at this point, you know, the guy's 33 years old, a, a legend. This this should have been a, a signature fight, maybe the fight of the year for boxing. And now, again, black guy for boxing. Marred again, as usual. Jared? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, oh, I'm probably going to catch some flack for this, but I'm not as upset as most people are about this. Um, I look at the swing rounds. I can't find four of them. Scored it for Chocolatito. I think the, the cards are right at 115-113. Um, I'm okay with a trilogy. It just sucks that boxing has so much of this. Like you said, Marred, Black Eye. You, put, you take something that could have been one of the best fights of the year, like you said. Like, we should be talking about something else right now besides 
the judge's scorecard and, and under investigation for that was a great fight. That was a great fight. Yeah, and I had Chocolatito edging it, but you end up with fights like that. Like, it just depends on what you're watching. Some people are more for pressure. Some people are more for the art. But if you don't understand the art, you shouldn't be a judge. If you're just looking for the guy that's pushing forward, why are you judging a boxing match? Chocolatito outlanded him by 77 punches, but at the end of the day, the belt stays in Mexico. <laughs> And that's where the WBC wanted it. That's where the corruption lives every single day. And I mean, th this is a shame. This is this is just Eddie Hearn and Match Room and the WBC just trying to squeeze more money from a from a legend. This isn't this isn't the way you want guys to go out. Ironically, by the way, it happened on the same day marvelous Marvin Hagler died. Did you know Marvelous Marvin Hagler did not get his title shot until his 50th fight? Joe Frazier went to go see him one day, and you know what he told him? You got three things going against you, kid. You're black, you're a southpaw, and you're damn good. This, I mean, boxing's always had these problems. This this it's only gotten worse, but this is a a long, just really. This is the history of boxing now, for like the last thirty forty years. It's ugly. Marvelous Marvin Hagler eventually just walked away from the sport, and and went on to become an actor in Italy, and screw everybody. This is a disgrace. This is an embarrassment to me. the The problem is. Again, the question was, does Gonzalez have one more fight in him? One more great fight, and he delivered. And to walk away cheated like that so people can make some more money on your back, it doesn't well, feel right. Well, say Hagler, I've had people argue to me that Hagler didn't lose a fight ever. I'd agree Hagler with never that. never lost a fight. Watch his fights. Watch his fights and be that guy that's saying he never lost a fight. Somebody had, somebody had somebody had Sugar Ray in that fight. 117, 111. That did that doesn't make any sense. What fight was that guy sense. watching? The other guy had it? Incidentally, he was 115, 113. The last 30 seconds every round. Um, and this guy, did you know that when he turned in, when Hagler turned into a champion, um, his trainers that brought him in, that kind of when he was struggling brought him in um he was paying 10 percent of every fight purse and after a while 10 percent turned into a lot of money because he was a champion and his trainer said we we're gonna put a cap on that number so you'll pay us a maximum of this amount for every fight instead of that 10 percent, because that's way too much and it doesn't seem fair anymore and Hagler said i'm going to continue to pay you 10 percent and if this conversation comes up again, I'm going to fire you both. That's the type of man Marvin Hagler was. And we need guys like that at the top of this game. Not in the ring, but outside of the ring. The guys signing the checks have to start acting like that if we are ever going to reclaim our sport. In uh, So the fight, basically the, the promoter is paying the judges and the referees and the venue. 
And so again, it's it's the system needs to be fixed. This this kind of stuff can't go on. Um, Maydonna Mayweather. Maydonna Mayweather. I've never said it before, but watch the refereeing of that fight and tell me there's not something funny going on. For some reason, every time these guys touch each other, they get a break. They're getting broke before they're even clinching. During combat, break, break, break. They're, they're the most breaks you've ever seen in a fight. Now, you tell me, does that benefit Floyd Mayweather Jr. or Marcos Maidana? That was that was so, and it would, and it, you couldn't have been any more obvious. And we're going to touch on one of the worst robberies ever in the history of boxing, and uh, later in the Who You Got, yeah, because it sticks out when it happens. You made a fight that should have stuck out for a totally different reason stand out because something fishy's going on, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, we aren't. I mean, this just brings me back to a couple years ago with uh, Triple G and Canelo and how people were wild about that Canelo, that one Canelo card that I think was like 117 to 11, too. Same kid. Is this the same guy? (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I guess it seems like if you're going to blow it completely, 117, 111's the score. Just do that. I, I do have a question, though, because, I mean, <laughs> uh, obviously I was pulling for Estrada, and I, I could, watching this fight, I could see a draw. I, I, I'm not happy with it going to Estrada. I, I was praying for a draw. Is is there a place for draw for a draw in boxing today, or is that something people don't like? People try to, like, steer away from, like, this one judge who's getting – well, did he not want to give a draw? Is that why he he made it so ridiculous for Estrada? Is it does that have something going on in the psyche? We'll start with you, Jared. Is that playing a part? I don't think it can. Boxing has been boxing for so long. 10-9-9-10-10-10-10-8 with a knockdown. It's been the same forever. I mean, a long, long time since since you know. But before that, it was, you know, two guys versus a lion or whatever. You know, like we've been doing it like this for a long time. And if you don't know that the guy who won the round gets 10 and the other guy gets nine, the only time if I were a judge, I have to be perfectly honest. The only time I saw a fight last night that perfectly described us. I saw one round where I thought the guy really eked it out, but it was a boring ass round. And then you had another boring round that I would have called 10-10. But if I'd been a judge, I'd have called it 10-9 for the other guy because it was two boring rounds and I want the third one to decide the fight. At 117-111, there were no charity rounds. That was nothing about, oh, well, this is close enough to where I want to leave myself the decision in the third round about who won this fight. So I'm going to call this 10-9 and nobody's going to question me about it. We'll get to the third round and I'm at 20-20. That's not what happened here at 117-111. You missed the boat. You missed it. And I try to go back and find those. So so usually when I see a bad scorecard, I can go back and be like, okay, one, two, three swing rounds that could have gone either way. There you go. Swing rounds, though. You watch Gotti Ward and score it, and everybody's going to have a different scorecard. Everybody's watching something different. That's that's crazy, to, but you have it one or two rounds one way or the other, okay. You have a 117-111. There needs to be an investigation because you weren't watching the same fight. 
You're just waking up from a call. Well, it's 17, 111. Like, what? There was a fight? What do you – like Joe said, unless you got the people wrong, you were looking at the wrong dudes. <laughs> right? Here's another one. The scorecards for De La Hoya versus Trinidad were so far at Trinidad's favor. De La Hoya basically just ducked the last three rounds and got all three rounds awarded to him because the scorecards early had gone so heavy for Trinidad. What do you think about that, Jace? That doesn't uh, feel good. It doesn't. You, no. I, I feel like each round should be in its own bubble. You shouldn't have to be thinking about, okay, this guy did. Oh, now he's bringing it back on, so maybe I should give him a little love here because he's doing a little bit better here. You shouldn't. Each round should be in a bubble. One and you should no, score. I believe it. Yeah, I agree. Like I <laughs> yeah, said, if I was again, a judge, I have to but be again, honest about how we do it, though. But Jared is is again what? How? What's the official? What's the official way to do it? Or again, is that like is that uh, subject to your interpretation of well uh, the art? Because I mean, again, look, anytime there's not a knockdown, right? It comes down to hmm, who landed more, who looked better, who control. I can I can pick my ten nine based on like whatever I want. Oh yeah, clean no, punching. Uh, clean punching. Here it is. Clean punching, defense, ring generalship, and effective aggression. Now, effective aggression, you want to give most of those to uh, Estrada. Ring generalship, you want to give most of those to Chocolatito. Defense and clean punches, I mean, it's so subjective. Right. Yeah. Effective aggression and ring generalship, those are almost always opposite guys. If you want to be almost always opposite guys, the guy you doing be, the aggression is different than the guy with the generalship. If you want 117, 111, you could see that if that was what you intended to do. Because I don't think any reasonable person's watching that and is like, I got the first five for Estrada. No, you don't. <laughs> Every any reasonable person had a three, two, one way or the other. And this guy was like five oh, like Estrada's just putting together a masterpiece theater tonight like what no dude you didn't see that you could not you could not have seen that i i don't know what his criteria was but he's gonna really he's gonna have to explain that to somebody gonna have to explain what he was seeing because no one else saw that at all yeah i mean they're not just in boxing like just judging in general is a problem first off like who are these people judging well why couldn't we get guys like marvin Hagler to be a judge or or like former fighters to be a judge because they know what they're seeing former trainers we got these idea. guys in that most of the time don't know what they're doing but or and then well, where is this explanation for this card we haven't seen it. It's just under investigation. Guy hasn't made a statement saying, oh, I saw this, this, and that. Even, I mean, a lot of people tease Adelaide Bird for uh, the, the Canelo card. But she was pretty on the forefront. She's like, all right, this is what I saw. She gave her reasoning to some degree. This guy's done nothing. He's just going to let the organization do it. And, and it's a mess because – I mean, there's a lot of different – people have a lot of different ways to fix 
judging, but it, it's always going to be a problem no matter what, no matter what you do. Unless you do have like a huge pool pool of judges that like it's a so, hundred judges a fight or something like yeah, that. The commission literally selects the judges and the ref from a pool that is selected by the promoter. Yeah, that's that's what it is. So I'm telling you who the judges are. I'm going to give you a list of six, and you're going to pick three, and they're all my six. Joe, you're on trial for murder. Who would you like the jurors to be? Sure, I could think of 12 buddies of mine who <laughs> would be more than happy to at least four of them. would be like, no, no, we're not, not doing guilty. it. No. What do you think? This is a hung jury. That was actually my porn name. It's funny you said that. Ah, I remember I remember some of your great works. <laughs> Jesus. All right. You and uh you and that guy legal briefs. That was uh very impressive. I actually thought um Clit Yeastwood. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. Okay. <laughs> we, we need to move on after that. Get back oh, on track. Yeah. All right. All right. From one controversial ending. To another, the UFC, Leon Edwards, <laughs> I pokes, uh, Bilal Muhammad ended in a no contest. You know what's crazy? Uh, I mean, I, I didn't want to pull up the picture of the I poke because, uh, I don't know, I don't want to get us flagged or anything. But when I was watching, the, when you see the, the photo, the big thing everyone always says is you got to keep your fingers down when you're, you're going – Leon Edwards' fingers were down. I guess that's why it's a no contest because it wasn't necessarily anything necessarily bad. It, it just was an infraction. What did you think of this whole thing going down, Joe? Listen, the UFC has had a really bad run with fighters missing weight, passing out at weigh-ins, getting disqualified, um, still coming off the, the bitterness of the Jan Sterling fight, and then this nonsense happened. It, it just... Here's the thing. All these big, tough guys, everybody's always talking about being the best boxer in the game, and yet most of them are, instead of jabbing, it's a lot of the pawn, which you all know I hate, and they don't, you know, throw a jab. Do something. It, it, I, I've seen more eye pokes of late than I ever have before, and I've also noticed I've heard the refs constantly telling guys, make a fist. That way you stop poking people in the friggin' eye. This is so see? stupid. Did you see uh, GSP fight Josh Koscheck? Yes. Did you see Winky Wright fight Felix Trinidad? Yes. In the UFC and boxing, these are fights that anybody who's trying to learn the game need to watch so that they understand the significance of a jab. Too often, I see guys standing close enough to each other to hit each other with a jab and winding up with another punch. And missing by when ah, um, I mean it's just the it's the when I teach people it's the punch I want you to have it's the best offense it's the best defense and you're right man there's too much of this I'm gonna wait and get this huge thing off when bah watch those fights Winky Wright Felix Trinidad GSP Josh Koschak they didn't need another move my arms this much longer than yours. And you're going to stay in that pocket where I can reach you and you can't reach me. 
and I'm going to hit you with the jab over and over and over, and you're never going to breach that space where you can touch me with any anything at all. Edwards owes him a rematch. Yes. I know I know it wasn't intentional. Edwards thinks he deserves a shot at the title because he had a good round one and he didn't poke Muhammad in the eye in that round. Like that's that's not how it works. You know, and if I'm not mistaken, I think Muhammad was coming in on like 30 days <laughs> having just fought about a month ago. A month to the day. Yep. And right, Edwards he hasn't has fought knee. in a while. I mean, come on, bro. They should rematch. With a bum in, knee. Rematch in two weeks. Let's run it back in two or three weeks. Let's do it again. Oh, let the eye heal. Let the knee heal. You do this in two months, Muhammad might beat him. Two months. You know what I mean. Yeah, again, I mean, I still think Edwards would win. I still think Edwards wins the fight, but, (coughs) I mean, have a real fight now. Have it where you don't poke him in the eye and uh, we see who really won. Because, to me, he didn't earn a shot at the title with this nonsense. No. This, like... Looking back at it, these two fighting in a main event, it couldn't have ended any other way, right? Like, <laughs> Leon Edwards and below Muhammad. Like, okay. no one was really salivating for this fight. No one really wanted it. And then it ends like this. And just looking back, you're like, yeah, that seems about right, doesn't it? One guy's what? disappointed. The other guy's crying. It's not the end of the fight they usually see. This well, so look in the grand scheme of things, right? Edwards is ranked third, Muhammad's thirteen, right? So Edwards is like last minute guy. I don't, I don't know him anything. I understand that line of thinking, but be a man. I, wow. I again, I, I here, I don't think Dana wants him to fight for the title. I don't think he wants Leon Edwards to even sniff a championship. I don't. Yes, it would be a. a that that's all fine and well. Again, I think if you're Muhammad, dude, this was a big opportunity yes. for you, and you got robbed of it. And Styles make fights. He can beat this guy. I'm telling you, he can beat this guy. Muhammad can beat Edwards. No, no doubt about it. No doubt he could beat him. I and I again, I'm I'm at a. I think Jan and Sterling. As soon as that rematch can happen, I think that should be the next thing that they schedule. As soon as they're medically cleared to go. Give him a couple weeks and let's do it again. Do it again. That's the only way you're going to solve these. The only way you're going to solve these two issues. To run it back. Oh, I totally agree with Frank's comment too. Judges should never be picked by somebody involved in the fight. Total conflict of interest. Yeah. But uh, again, you give the perfect example with if I was on trial for murder. I mean, I would. I get to pick the jury. Yeah, great. <laughs> Let's say not guilty, Jits. <laughs> right? Oh. I will also point out, by the way, that the, the judge in the WBC, um, Chocolito Estrada, yeah. he's a Mexican judge. So the idea that he couldn't tell him apart is out the window. The idea that he's just a corrupt judge from Mexico is very much in the picture now. So, not looking good. Not looking good. Hey, I mean, if he's going to go down like that, he might as well just giving it a 120. He might as well. <laughs> yes. Yes. But I would have done 120, 120, 108. One every round. Doctor, yeah, just doctor went for the hell of it. Uh, uh, the 10-8s in there, he was so dominant. Yeah. 
<laughs> I couldn't even see myself giving you a nine, a chocolatito. Sorry. All right. Okay. As that guy walks out in a giant like fur coat in like a fancy new Cadillac. Good night, everybody. <laughs> nice job, Judge. All right. Nothing to see here. All right. Let's move on to some current events. Starting off, big one. Kelvin Gaslam steps in for uh, the injured Paulo Costa to face Robert Whitaker at UFC Fight Night on April 17th. Jared, what do you think of this? Oh, good fight, but again, I don't like either guy. Give me Whitaker, of course, is the is the guy. I'd say Gaslam. I've, I mean, I've never liked this guy. I thought he was a product of uh, luck most of the time and didn't have a large enough skill set to be where he was. I still believe that. He'll lose to Whitaker, and it'll be pretty convincing. Well, for me, I think everybody knows how I feel about uh, Polo Costa. I think he is a waste of talent. I think he doesn't understand the fight game, despite the immense skills and abilities and training and everything he does. Um, I, I'm, eh. I like, I like Kevin Gastelum a lot. Um, my brother just texted. He goes, I know you like Gastelum because he looks like you. That's not, and that's not my motivation. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I, I, I think in the grand scheme of things, I think when you look at Gastelum, um, and, and, um, the way the way he fought Adesanya better than the way Costa did, uh, I just think he's a better overall fighter. I think he's going to give Whitaker a better fight, but I still think at the end of the day, uh, I think one of the hardest things to do in sports is beating Robert Whitaker. That guy's got like the heart of a lion, and you know, I don't know. I, I, I'll I won't I won't pick against him until he's really old and starts dropping fights. I get that. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm very excited for this fight. I remember when we were supposed to get it, and then uh, Whitaker, I think, was that when he had the hernia, I think? And then uh, we ended up getting Adesanya Silva, um, which then led to the interim match between Gaslam and Adesanya. But um, – yeah, I, I really like the way Gaslam matches up with Whitaker. I think it's going to be a really, really good fight. But uh, just part of me just – I don't know. I, I just feel like Gaslam, like his heart isn't fully in it anymore. I, I feel like he's just half in, half out. He's he's just in like he's stuck. And I don't think he – he needs to win this fight to get back to competing. But I, I don't know if he can. He should retire after this fight. I'm all set with watching him. I was I was all set when he started though. I do. There's you want to see these guys and see greatness in them in the future that it's going to happen. And he never had that skill set for me. He just never had that. This is a good wrestler. You're dated. His his skill set is dated. Facts. Uh, Chase, it's rare to see you go against um, a Mexican fighter uh, in Kelvin Gastelum. Against a Mexican judge earlier, too. This guy's Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I Jace, like... Jace got anti-Mexico today. Jeez. 
fucking not. I mean, I, I like Kelvin Gaston. When it comes fight time, I'm going to start chatting build that him. wall in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. Oh, man. Yeah, Let's talk that. about <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next week, we got a big UFC pay-per-view. But even farther down the line, May – in May, UFC 262 for the vacant lightweight title bout. It's official. Khabib is officially retired as per Dana White. And, so, and per Khabib months and months ago that no no one believed. Uh, yes, you're right. But Ooh, uh, There's another show. They don't have him in the top <laughs> ten as the GOAT. What's the name of that show, JJ? Just, and, uh, and Xander just started. Stir the pot? Stir, yeah, dude, they were on there last night talking about Khabib, not even in the top 10 as a go, didn't fight enough guys. He's like, he should have fought this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy. I'm like, he beat four out of six of the guys you just named. Like, why Why would he needs to fight them all again for you to believe that he can beat that? Well, three rounds is different right. than five. It was weird, dude. Not JJ can stick to the Yankees then. because uh... I was. <laughs> Those are baseball guys. <laughs> Uh, but uh, Jared, I know you've talked a oh, lot about. Oh no, I want bit. Joe to go. No, no, I want Joe want to Joe? go first. Please, please, Joe, add to my Charles Oliveira compilation from the time <laughs> you said that this guy was a wasted talent and all those losses and couldn't. And I said he's got the to rise to the top and fight after fight. You guys have kind of joined joined the good guys. So I want. Add to it, Charles Oliveira. Before, uh, I, I just before uh, the show started, uh, you were, I don't know what you were doing. You were doing something, uh, and I popped in here, and uh, I said to Jace, uh, when he told me about this, I said, well, yeah, I mean, Oliveira has certainly earned, he's proven me wrong. I like to be proven wrong. When I say something about a guy, it's meant as a constructive criticism. I still think Oliveira has a questionable heart, and that will still be a concern for me uh, until he becomes the champion and goes on a nice run of defending it. Um, you know, he did beat a worn-out Ferguson. Not quite the same thing, but a very impressive fight. He's been He's been taking care of business. I think he does deserve to fight for the title at UFC 262. Michael Chandler, on the other hand, I'm not quite on board with Michael Chandler being the guy here who gets to fight for the title. I love Dan Hooker, but Dan Hooker was already kind of on the fence. I mean, he quit after the fight, at least for the for the moment. We're not really sure where it stands right now with him. Uh, Dustin Poirier mentioned he didn't feel like Chandler would be his next opponent, but he also felt like Chandler wasn't there long enough to uh, fight for a title. And 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 so, uh, again, this was a conversation we had uh, just before you joined us. I said to him, this is like when Goldberg went to the WWE and Stone Cold was the champ. They already got a big white bald guy with a goatee and a bad attitude as the champion. Like you don't just come in and you get to fight. They had to dance around for a while before they could even put them in the same arena in the same ring. So for Chandler to just walk into the UFC, one in, and he's fighting for a title, this I, could get dangerous. It's gonna piss off a lot of guys. I know Gaethje ain't real happy about it. Mm -hmm. 
I can imagine a delusional Tony Ferguson's not real happy about it. I know Poirier's not happy about it. I, I mean, I'm there's there's I'm sure lots of guys that have voiced their opinion about what what seems to be a little bit unfair. But look, Dana, Dana White knows what he's doing, and no doubt about it. Uh, good, good point. Poirier and Gaethje were all the guys uh, Oliveira and Chandler just beat. Yeah, I mean, again, Poirier did, had destroyed Hooker. Um, this is this is a dangerous precedent, though. If you look at what happened at the end of GSP's career, and you look at what's going on now with John Jones, and what's happened for the majority of Conor McGregor's career after he got real popular, we're giving guys fights based on their popularity versus their skill set, and it's not that bad in UFC yet. But if Mike Mike Chandler gets this shot and we keep following this trajectory, we're going to end up like boxing. Where we're following a narrative instead of trying to find out who the best fighter is. That shouldn't be Michael Chandler. I agree with you. He's close enough to not cause a big stir about it. But be careful, UFC. Because this is a dangerous path you've started on. Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from, Jared, but also the UFC will, while both these guys, I don't necessarily think, I do think Oliveira deserves a towel shot more than Chandler, but it will rectify itself. With the, Whoever wins this fight will have to take on a Poirier eventually, have to take on a Gaethje eventually, and we'll figure that out. We can't necessarily say the same thing about boxing when it comes to True. that stuff. But sure. um, Well, that's why I say this is what it looked like in the beginning, though. You yeah, start pacifying right. that other side. Um, Michael Chandler versus Venom Page. And just because that's kind of what people want to see. And that's not a title fight. That's dangerous. You know, the uh, BMF title. I liked the idea. It was fun. Dangerous path. Don't go too far down it. Make another bell for the baddest dude. One for the toughest dude. One for the most gangster. How many belts do we need? No, I, I get it. Just one. How many worlds are there? All right. Well, if you're champion of the world, and there's one world, then there should be one champion. Roberto Duran. Oh, but WWE has the universal championship, so how does that work? Well, and we've got the silver and gold and super silver and intramural and intercontinental and... and <laughs> Unless you're going to make those weight classes, I don't want to hear it. There's one champion. You know, it, it's funny for, I would assume, and I don't mean to insult fight fans at all, but I would bet the majority of fight fans are of that feeling of, like, kids today, like, pussies, participation awards. You're watching a sport that has, like, hundreds of championships across the board. <laughs> you know what I mean? There are as many people who have held some kind of championship belt in boxing as there are kids who play soccer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's lot. a trinket for the best guy that night. Yes, <laughs> golden gloves, and I mean, there's there, there's so many ways you could be a championship <laughs> boxer. The um, Ring Magazine has its own champion. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes, and is probably as legitimate as most of those other lists. That's the problem. You can't get. There was a time I did a flurry and brought up lists where it was like, here's IBF's top 10. Yep. Here's the top 10 box rec pound for pound. And here's the top 10 money earners. And only one guy's name was on all three lists. 
Those should be the same 10 guys. They should be the best fighters, the pound for pound best fighters, the champions, and the guys that are getting paid. Yep. Why are those all different people? And this is where that starts. When you realize you can make a couple extra bucks by instead of putting the two best fighters in the ring, why was that a problem for Marvin Hagler? You remember what he said Marvin Hagler's problem was? You, you just did a quote earlier, Joe. Why is that stuff a problem? Why is being black and very, very good and left-handed a problem and not a solution for a fighter? Because they don't want to see you. Because they're going to let people fight that they want to see as opposed to the best fighters. We have to change that. We have to change it in boxing and we have to be careful in the UFC that we don't follow that same path. Yep, you're right. And I think we are starting to change it in boxing, starting off with Joshua and Fury. Going to be a two-fight. They've come to a two-fight agreement. I don't necessarily know what that means, but it's a two-fight agreement, and I'm going to take it with that and assume that they're going to fight twice. So, Jared, what do you think of this? What do you think of these two fights? I don't like that at all. I like the fight. I love that they're going to fight each other. It's the two heavyweights I want to see fight. But a second fight, you got what's the, you know, you got to put a death clause in there. No disrespect. I mean, how do you know? How do you know? And then I, I said it last week with, uh, with Sterling. After the Peter Jan fight, you were dominated. You got beat up and now you're the champion and have to fight that guy again. Oh, no. What if Tyson Fury walks through Anthony Jan? And it could happen. I think Joshua's a better boxer. But this is a bigger, mauling type, good jab. What if he just is longer, bigger, stronger, and mauls Joshua? And you're, you know, Anthony Joshua's son. How do you feel about a two-fight agreement? I don't want that because you don't know what's going to happen in a fight. I fought a kid named Jordan, huge kid, 6'6", 4'3", um, And I almost lost my consciousness during that fight. My kid was there and shit. <laughs> um, so, and before, I felt real relaxed because he didn't have a lot of experience. You know, it was uh, I was the only one who trained him. Apparently, I did a better job with him than I thought. Uh, but you put those another fight clause in and it's just totally different the second time around. No matter what, you guys will have fought once. I don't necessarily want a rematch before I've seen that. You know what this reminds me of? And no disrespect to anybody who identifies as Republican, Democrat, liberal or conservative. But that's what it reminds me of. Can we talk about the issue? Before I tell you what side I stand on, I do not identify as any of those things and can't because as soon as you say Democrat to a Republican or vice versa, there's all these preconceived notions that most of which don't apply to me. And that's where you are. You're saying, so after that first fight, we'll do a second one. Well, I want to watch the first one. Is it worth a second fight? When I get my fight with Canelo Alvarez, are we going to sign an agreement for a second fight? Or is that absolutely ridiculous that we would fight a second time? The first time's ridiculous. 
Why would we do it a second time? So when we find out that this was a ridiculous notion and then we're under contract, it's a problem, man. And I never liked the second fight. A rematch clause for a champion that's won 20 fights in a row. D-Hop wins 20 straight title defenses and you start putting rematch clauses in there? Fine. Two-fight agreement for these guys? Uh-uh. Nope. Joshua just got knocked out a few fights ago by Andy Ruiz, a relative. I don't want to say unknown. Great fighter. A lot greater than he got respect for, but that's not what we thought was going to happen. And you didn't, you didn't dominate thoroughly in the second fight with a worn-out Ruiz who put himself through the ringer before the fight anyways. And now you're getting Tyson Fury, who's just beating people up. Who beat Deontay Wilder, he like changed this man's whole life. He changed him as a human being and made him a different person. And you're going to fight him twice. You better see how the first one goes first, Joshua. Not that Joshua doesn't have a chance in this fight. I'm just not picking him to win. And I don't want a second one if what happens is what I think is going to happen. Just a bigger, stronger guy mauling Anthony Joshua. And then we're going to have to watch it twice. And, an undisputed heavyweight champion has never happened in the four belt era. The last person to be the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world was another Brit, Lennox Lewis, Hall of Famer, last recognized as such in the year 2000. I think this is a great thing that the fight's happening for the sport, the unification. I think for a sport that has, as I've said repeatedly the last few weeks, suffered black eyes. Uh, as often as its fighters do, this is a good thing. I do agree with you, Jared, the idea of a two-fight agreement. Um, let's. I guess we're just assuming the first one's a classic, an instant classic. Let's run it back and do it again. But you're right. You know, this... I, I think Joshua's an excellent Washington fighter. Washington generals are going to look good in this yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, I'm putting big money on the generals. Saw them warming up today. They made all their buckets. You know, look... Um, I, I think Joshua is capable of beating Fury. I don't think it's likely, and I'm not going to be picking him to win this fight. Again, I know he could do it. I see it like you do, Jared. I think Fury's too big, too strong, too fast. I think he's got too much, too high of a ring IQ. I think he's probably going to... I think the best thing that could happen to Joshua in the first fight would be to get knocked out middle early. Third, fourth round knockout. Then... You could make the argument, well, maybe let's see if these guys go uh, and, and and fight a real 12 or what might happen. So to me, that would be the, the, the best case scenario. I find it interesting. I did mention Lennox Lewis for a reason. He's a Brit. Joshua, Fury, Brits, the fight, probably in Abu Dhabi. The other one going to be in Vegas. COVID restrictions would make it, it uh, having this fight in England problematic uh, they wouldn't probably be able to do it at least the first fight um maybe they could the second fight i don't even think they would consider it you know uh again this is uh eddie hearn getting his getting his trying to get his monies this can't this man cannot have enough money can't find enough money and and i mean tell me this fight should not be happening in london Wembley Arena. I mean, why why is this fight 
this historic fight between two Brits to become the first undisputed heavyweight champion since Lennox Lewis. Why would this fight not be in England is my only question. That's the only thing about this. Again, that I get Vegas. I get Vegas, especially the first one because of the COVID restrictions. But by November, December, when they, they do the second one, assuming it's it's it, it should happen, why would not be in London? Come on, boxing. Ooh, dude, I totally agree with Tony's last comment there uh, about sparring partners. I've, and I've always said this, and this is going to sound a little uh, gender biased, guys, but um, I've always seen girls in the gym, and there's a certain amount of uh, I'm not on the level to have envy, so I don't want to use the word envy. But um, it seems like no matter there, there's you can always spar with a guy and get that other skill set. Man, this I I can't find a way to word this and not make it sound absolutely horrible. Um, but the. Be, the guys at the top of the game are different than the girls at the top of the game. And the guys at Tyson Fury, if you're really going to try to duplicate his skill set and find a sparring partner, you know, if it's if you're looking for a Vonda Ward, you're probably not going to find a female with that same skill set for people to spar with that's 6-5 and, you know, but there's, uh, there's Kelly Pavlik's out there. Yeah, who else is 6'9", 275, moves like a middleweight? Let's put an ad out. LeBron James. <laughs> he ain't 275. Yeah, right. no, I, well, and that's it. You bring in LeBron James as a sparring partner for Anthony Joshua. LeBron James has a problem. There's no real way to duplicate this for him that – Makes it make sense. You'd have to bring in six heavyweights and alternate rounds with them to put them into a gauntlet style, and they'd all have to be huge. And none of them are going to look like are going to give you that skill set when you get in the ring. I always thought that females at the top of the game had a little bit of an advantage because they could still, in most gyms, find that. I never had trouble. I had Chad Dawson there. I had uh, uh, Jose Rivera, Lawrence Claybay. You know, there were guys there that would, Matt Remillard, who I weighed by 20 pounds, would thoroughly smack me around whenever I needed it. So it wasn't like, hmm, how am I going to be able to replicate because I wasn't at the top of the game. But when you get that high in the game, you need to be able to practice. There's no, yes, there's no practicing for this. Where's what's Khabib's bear doing with his time? Because <laughs> if I'm in the if I'm in the Joshua camp, I'm bringing in Khabib's bear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tony brings up maybe maybe Joshua needs to bring in Braun Strowman because him and uh, Tyson Fury have met in the ring before. <laughs> oh. But um, no, I, I I do want to before we move. That's on, the first time you said that name, and it made sense. By the way, James. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But uh, <laughs> no, I want to uh, challenge your your, your two fights. I like the two fights here, Jared. Because I mean, look at hey, you brought up the Andy Ruiz fight for Joshua. Look at so say this goes how you expect it to go. 
Fury comes out, dominates. Joshua's shown that he can turn things around. He can learn from his mistakes and get better, even though, yes, there was a little bit of Andy Ruiz eating too many chimichangas that led to Joshua claiming his belt back. But uh, no, but I I do like this. I, I do think it's good enough. I do think they're both deserving to have this be a big fight, have this whoever wins, no matter what fashion, I think the other person is good enough to bounce back and come back and make the second fight even better. Whatever fashion, though. You regularly end up in a coma when you get hit with the type of shots that these guys throw. Look at, not, look at DC not, and Stipe. No matter what happens. Look at DC and Stipe. The worst possible thing could happen to Stipe. He got knocked out in the first round against DC. He came back, He and he put everything to bed. Who's not to say Fury does that to Joshua or Joshua does that to Fury, and that happens? Who's not to say that doesn't happen? I, I understand like that. We, but these guys are the top of their game, at the top of their division, at the top of the sport. And I think they're good enough to bounce back from whatever happens. All right, so if we're done with Wilder and don't want to see him anymore, best out of seven, neither one of these guys is that old. Well, I mean, Wilder's I like the best of seven. Yeah. (laughs) Keep running it back. Let's do it in one night, too. Hell, till someone till someone establishes himself as well, a, I was gonna, you know what, Nate, not for nothing, man. Lamada and and wake Ray, him up dude. and win it back. <laughs> I mean, they 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 fought three times in a month at one point, uh, just because there was nobody. Who else are they gonna fight? There was nobody worthy at that point. They would just fight each other. Became best friends. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah. Listen, if if it's the if if if. Fury and Joshua in June is a is whether it's a great fight or not. If come December, that's still the marquee matchup in the heavyweight division. And I and I suspect that some people think it's gonna be, then this two fight agreement makes all the sense in the world. Because really, who else is there? Joshua has to uphold his end of the deal. And again, who's to say he can't pull out a win? Especially if they can get that Mexican judge in there. It's already 117, 111 on one scorecard for Joshua. You just got to convince one more judge you pulled it off. I've, I mean, can Joshua outbox blow for blow Fury? Because, no. because I don't think he has one of those Wilder right hands in him. I don't think that punch exists in his arsenal. And it didn't work against Fury already. So draw me a blueprint where this guy wins. He's so spectacular that he outboxes a guy and couldn't do it with Andy Ruiz the first time, but somehow makes it work with Fury or hits him harder than Wilder did. I don't see either one of those things. It's just, it just doesn't happen. And if the guy's dominated, if he wins, you know, 117, 111, <laughs> fine. But if the guy just gets – if what I think is going to happen happens, what do we need to do it again for? Again, I mean, I agree. Uh, he he. If the fight goes the way I think it's going to go, I think it's, it's going to be clear that Fury's the – I think it's going to be clear that not only is he the best fighter now, that he's definitely got to be considered one of the all-time greats. And I know boxing's already having a hard time with that thought. 
Well, I I don't as as much as most people do, and I always like to refer to the uh, Olympics. Go to the Olympics. Look at the high jump, the long jump, the sprints, the ma- anything you want. I promise you, our numbers have gotten better and better and better and better and better over time. So to believe that, um, and I'll, I'll put Muhammad Ali as the goat. But could the best Muhammad Ali beat the best Tyson Fury? No. This is a different breed. This is a different time. If you're going to put Walter Payton next to Adrian Peterson and think you've got a good competition, you probably don't. I'll take Walter over AP all day. All day. But if you think there's an argument there, the Jordan LeBron, give me Jordan. But the game has changed. This is different. Watch those guys from the watch. Watch clips from when basketball first started. Those guys play basketball. Joe, we would compete out there. We would be competitive out there. <laughs> I could bring five of my people. We will go little run pick, those guys. Right pick and roll court. action. Oh yeah, <laughs> never seen it before. What the hell was that? A slam dunk. Yeah, exactly. Fury would yeah. be dominant in any era. Agreed. Agreed. All right. This is an interesting who you got, Jared. What is the one fight you most remember watching that maybe was the most impactful in your life? Oh, this was tough for me, but the one that stands out, I actually wrote an article about it. uh, Ebo Elder versus Courtney Burton. Elder had come up in weight. Elder had taken the fight on short notice. He was a smaller guy. He's fighting an undefeated guy. It was... Everything was wrong with this fight for him. And um, I had him losing on my scorecard and the last round. And I mean, every Joe, you, I mean, whew, I got to find clips of this fight. But the, the kid's father, Ebo Elder's father was his trainer. So he's in there every round in his face. What are you doing? Throw a pump the jab. You got to, you know, and I'm like the whole time going, man, that must be tough that that's your son sitting there. You know, and he's like, every time, come on, you got to get an overhand and get the, and he's so, like, this is his son, and he's bleeding, and he's getting worse and worse, and his eyes are swollen shut, right? Look up the uh, visuals of this guy's face, Ebo Elder, after the Courtney Burton fights. His eyes are completely swelled shut. Father's screaming in his face between every round. And then the last round comes, and he and, and Ebo walks over to his stool, and his dad grabs his head, and he puts him together, and he starts praying. I just want you to carry my son through this last round. Win or lose, just go out there with him, survive this. It was a totally different guy. I like have never I've never seen anything like that. That last round came, and he just held his son. You know, tough fight, but go out there and finish. And he and he knocked out Courtney Burton. It was one of the most amazing things. That five minutes of my life, dude, I will never, ever shake that part of that fight. And um, at the end, Ebo Elder, like, collapses in the middle of the ring. And there's pictures of him with his eyes shut and and blood coming, your tears and blood from And he's just, what a fight. What a great fight. What a great finish. And that father going from you, what are you doing out there? To, I love you. I love you. And you did a great job, son. Go finish. And it and it, it felt like, to me, that made the difference. Beautiful fight. For me, um, 
first I'll say this, you know, I, I, I started watching boxing when I was really young, early eighties. I remember Jorge Paez was a guy that stood out to me, the clown prince of Mexico. He was an acrobat. Um, and, and would sometimes feign when you hit him, like he was about to get knocked out and then launch forward and throw right upside your head. Um, but the fight that will always stand out to me is Tyson versus Douglas, February 11th, 1990. It was school vacation week, and we went to my um, cousins. They were rich. They lived in New Jersey, and they had HBO. Now, it was tape delayed. There was some weird squabble with HBO. The fight was obviously in Tokyo. So when we watched the fight, we had already heard that Mike Tyson had lost. Again, understand in 1990, no internet. Things were much different. So we did watch it on tape delay, and you're watching this fight. And Tyson drops Douglas in the eighth, and you're like, you're watching. You know he lost, and you're like, oh, yeah. Like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. How? How is he going to lose this fight? And then 10th round, biggest upset in the history of the sport by far and away. I remember I remember literally sitting in my cousin's basement on the big screen. I didn't have a big screen at home, so I, I, I didn't know what that I wouldn't know for another like 20 years what that experience was like a large screen TV watching that fight. Craziest thing I ever saw. Mm. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. All right. For me, this one, uh, I went UFC. I'm going to do that. But for me, Jared, you 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 brought it up earlier. It was the BMF title belt. Masvidal versus Diaz. Just watching that ending with that cut over Diaz's eye, just like – First off, it's Nate Diaz. You can't you can't stop a Nate Diaz fight like that. So the, that first off makes me I, I hate it. But also, a week ago, you had you had a week before that you had Tyson Fury against uh, I don't even remember the guy's name. It was the guy he fought in between the Wilder fights, Otto something, some no name. Wallen. Otto Wallen, yes, yes, yes. Otto Body Wallen. He had a (laughs) vagina. Otto Wallen put a vagina on Tyson Fury's eye. And it was wide open, and Tyson Fury was still doing his best. He still won the fight. But you got this small little cut over uh, Nate Diaz's eye. Small, barely anything. He's had a bunch of cuts like this before, but we're fighting. We're calling the fight off. We're going to give it to Jorge Masvidal. Just going back to that moment just pisses me off so much. Like, I hate that fight so much because it was so, it was supposed to be something so awesome. And then to have, it was for the baddest motherfucker belt. And it ends like the way it did. Like, that fight will just always stick out to me. That's interesting. That's interesting that that's the fight that sticks in your crawl the most. I love both of those guys. It was a very disappointing ending. I will say, I think you're downplaying the eye injury a little bit to Diaz because it was a little, it was a little, it was a little no, deeper but than to go from up. Fury. It was a little, a week ago it was a little deeper that? than deep. Also, when they're the I'll baddest out, motherfuckers, you're going Montival, to Montival was tagging him bad, and to me, 
the eye was as it was as much an excuse as the actual beating he was taking. He was getting lit up pretty bad. And Nate Diaz again, like Robert Whitaker, I said earlier. Nate Diaz would 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 have died in that ring before he would have let that fight be stopped. I, I mean, I understand that, and that's why he was fighting for that belt, for that title, right? Bad as motherfucker. I get it, but. Again, sometimes, and you know, look at Dante, uh, Dante Wilder being all upset with Mark Breland for throwing in the towel. It's like, bro, you were getting murdered out there. And I and I think for Nate, that wasn't going to get any better, that fight. I mean, Masvidal was really zeroing in on the cut. And really, I mean, it was it was bad news. I, I, I think I get that one. I could see where it sticks in your crawl well, a little bit for like sure. It, was a, it wasn't like Ortega versus... Fair. No, uh, you're right. You're no, right. You're right. Again, I think when you're talking about this area of the human, I think you got to be super careful about it. And I think, again, in a match where it's for the baddest motherfucker, dude, it's like having a, like a hardcore match and, and being like, oh, no, you hit him. Oh, no. You poked him in the eye. Well, we're going to... You wouldn't, right? I mean, if you're having a street fight, it's a street fight. I mean, so do it. But um, I again, I think, I, 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 you know, obviously, with Marvelous Marvin Hagler dying, I'm sure you've all seen the video played a million times over. It's been shared on Facebook. The the round him, him and and Hearns, uh, one of the one of the greats of all time. Um, an unbelievable battle. Uh, I think Tony also mentioned Ali Frazier. Um, and I forget what the other one was. He had another one that he put up there. Oh, um, yeah. Gotti versus Ward. Uh, again, where Ward went down in the fight and then came back and dominated the round and ninth round. Unbelievable. So yeah, there's been, uh, there's been some great moments for sure. Mine, uh, I, I got another one, Emmanuel. That's now this is a picture of Ebo Elder after he won the fight. You should see the guy that lost. You can't tell he's been in a fight. His eyes were literally swelled shut with blood and tears running down him. And, you know, they were, they were talking about stopping it a few times because he couldn't see. And he just backed the guy into the corner. And, oh, my God, watch it. Um, the other one, amazingly enough, Ebo Alder won that fight against a guy named Courtney Burton. My second on this list, and I only had two, was Emmanuel Augustus. Versus Courtney Burton. Courtney Burton's just kind of the other guy in both of these fights, though, because Emmanuel Augustus is the uh, drunken master guy. We were talking about this actually last week because Teddy Atlas freaked out on one of the judges after the fight. And that's, I had said earlier that the Estrada Chocolatito fight will stick out not because it was a great fight, because of how you remember the judging afterwards. This was a great fight that was always going to stand out to me. And I went from what a great fight to, oh, my God, you got the wrong guy. Courtney Burton, that's, that's not what happened, you know. So, so as far as memory goes, it stinks that, you, that the fight game does that. You'll have this other wave that, you know, those are jarred into my memory. One, because of its greatness and the other somewhat because of his greatness, but as much because of the a sport that experiences black eyes as much as its fighters. Joe, you're the man. You wrote that yourself? Tony, write that for you? That's beautiful. You did not. No, no, no. That was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, so here we are. Yeah, this is about 50% <laughs> my material this week and about 50% his. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> that one, that that that's that was that was very good. Yeah, that was uh that was a big Joe original right there. Yeah, eloquent maneuver, my brother. Ew. All right. Now let's get in to the fights, the previews, starting off with your boy Virgil Ortiz Jr., Jared, your boy taking on Maurice Hooker. Joe, break this fight down for us. Virgil Ortiz Jr. is 22 years old, 5'10", 72-inch reach, 16-0, all by way of the knockout. The Texas native was a decorated amateur, winning seven national championships and the 2013 Junior Olympics. After 160 amateur fights, he turned pro in 2016, signing with Golden Boy, reeled off nine straight knockouts, six in the first round, before he stepped up in competition, took on former IBF and WBA champion Juan Carlos Salgado, blew him out in the third round. After a couple more KOs, he faced former WBA junior welterweight champ Maurice Herrera and turned out the lights in round three. Followed that up with knockouts of Antonio Orozco and Samuel Vargas in the sixth and seventh rounds, respectively. He's a power puncher with dynamite in both hands, especially that right cross. Ortiz has the ability to put an opponent out with one shot. He's got the footwork to set up the power punches. He's economical with his punches. He prefers short, accurate bursts over wild combinations. He's been improving with every fight and at every level of competition. Ortiz believes a win puts him in line for a title shot. I don't think he's wrong about that. Hooker, meanwhile, 31 years old, stands 5'11 with an impressive 80-inch reach, 27-1-3 with 18 knockouts. Mighty Mo is also a Texas native. He was the Golden, or the Dallas Golden Gloves champ going 85 and 7 before he went pro. He suffered a draw in his first bout, then reeled off 17 straight wins, then another draw before he got a shot at the NABO Junior Welterweight title in 2015. He knocked out Eduardo Galindo in the sixth round, then defended that title six more times, including a decision over former IBF champ Cristobal Cruz and Terry Flanagan to win the WBO junior welterweight belt. After two defenses, he was TKO'd by former Olympian and WBC champ Jose Ramirez. He bounced back from his first loss, though, with a first-round TKO of Uriel Perez. He's a long-rangey counterpuncher. Hooker fights out of the high guard. He uses his abnormally long arms to keep his opponents at a comfortable range. He does have a solid chin, slick head, and foot movement. He's very effective on the inside. Uh, as he is picking his opponents from a distance with his long, powerful left hook and his right cross. Jared, could be a good fight. The way I see it, though, your boy Ortiz KO in the sixth. What do you got? I like it. I like it. All of it. Um, this is going to be fun because Maurice Hooker is an 80-inch reach and knows how to use that jab we were talking about earlier. This is one of the better jabs in the division, if not the best jab in the division, with uh, Mo Hooker. He was able to win rounds uh, pretty... I mean, great fight with Jose Ramirez, but he was winning rounds with that jab, with that range. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Virgil Ortiz overcomes that range whether he does or doesn't i don't think is up for debate um and middle rounds four five six so we're we're on the same page 100 percent. by the way uh jose ramirez uh who did beat hooker is fighting a unification with our boy josh taylor next month nice yep. 
Very excited nice about breaking that. Breaking news from Joe. I'll take Taylor. Isn't that great? That yeah. Tough, yeah. That's a same. That is going to be a great fight. I, it's some good fights coming up for sure. So, but oh, yeah, yeah, I feel like, uh, dude, uh, this Ortiz Jr., man, this guy is, again, you, you watch him start it out and kind of, you know, kind of got that where he wasn't really fighting anybody. As soon as he stepped up to competition, dude, it's been knockout after knockout after dominating fights. Walking kid's great. everyone, yeah. This guy is, uh, you mentioned him a long while ago. I mean, he's, uh, this guy's the real deal. Jace did. Who's the guy we're going to hear of in the next year or two that's an up-and-coming guy? And this was my answer, and I'm, I'm pretty happy with He's here. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah, arrived. Now he's on time, yeah. 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 I, I, I don't know, man. I, I like Hooker. I like Maurice Hooker a lot. No, you I, like hookers. That's well, a different yeah, conversation but, uh, on a different show. I mean... <laughs> But no, uh, Hooker's solid, and he—you he, said it—he lo—he does use that reach. The only that's time how you order to... starch at a brothel. How do you order starch at a brothel? More rice, right, Hooker. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh jeez. Right. <laughs> okay. With all that being said, I, I've just seen more than more of Hooker, and I'm like more. I, I like what I've seen of Ortiz, but I've just seen more of Hooker. So I'm going to take Hooker in this because, I mean, Ortiz is young, but, like, I don't know. I just like that range for Hooker. He, he I think, knows how I to think, use it. I think, I think if Ortiz stays on the inside and forces the fight, Hooker does have a sucker tendency despite that major advantage to stay in close, which would obviously negate the reach. And favor Ortiz, who's the better and stronger of the two. The big if thing he came out and wanted to end this in a round or two, he would. He's going to be safer than that, and it'll take four, five, or six. But if Ortiz went in there and it was like, "Hey, you've got three minutes, go knock this guy out," he would. Yes, I think the I think the big key for Ortiz here is going back and watching that Ramirez fight with Hooker. Ramirez was really able to get to Hooker's body, and that's what, like, got his defenses down and opened him up. So I think if Ortiz can do that. Jace, just another news flash here, brother. I don't know if you know what you're doing today. You know Virgil Ortiz Jr. is from Mexico. It's Mexican. Yeah. Okay. Are you lost? <laughs> what is, have you done with What Jace? is happening? The guy who the guy who coined the phrase, I don't care what you guys just said in your analysis, <laughs> I'm picking the Mexican. You have gone against every Mexican. <laughs> have I said that? Including I the Mexican judge that, and the corrupt WBC, which is headquartered in Mexico City, Mexico. You're just what is going on there? It's been flags over numbers right up until now. <laughs> Not anymore. We put our thinking cap on today. My bad. <laughs> but, uh, all right. All right, that's going to be a fun fight. But now let's switch things over to the octagon as uh, we got Tony with the tail of the tape to break it down. Uh, Brunson versus Holland. Let's go. The UFC is back at it this weekend with a major showdown in the middleweight division between dangerous UFC veteran Derek Brunson and hard-hitting rising star Kevin Holland. Let's break it down. Derek Brunson, 37 years old. He's six foot one with a 77-inch reach. From Wilmington, North Carolina, 
Brunson is 21 and 7 with 12 knockouts and three submissions while also losing five fights by knockout. Receiving scholarships in both cheerleading and wrestling to the University of South Carolina, he became a three-time Division II All-American and started training in MMA shortly after graduation and turning pro in 2010, winning his first six fights by first-round finish. He made a strike force debut in 2011, winning his first three, then dropping two in a row, including a 41-second knockout loss to Jacare Souza. He debuted in the UFC with a decision over Chris Lieben, but then lost by TKO to Yol Romero in an all-action fight-of-the-night winner. After going on a five-fight win streak, which included a knockout of Uriah Hall, he made a significant step up in competition and started to become a main event fighter with mixed results, including a unanimous decision loss to Anderson Silva, KO losses to Robert Whitaker, Jacare Souza, and Israel Adesanya, as well as knockout wins over Lyoto Machida and Dan Kelly. Since 2019, he's been on a three-fight winning streak with solid wins over prospects Ian Heinish and Edmund Shabazian. A crafty veteran with powerful striking and exceptional wrestling ability, boasting 100% takedown defense and averaging three takedowns per every 15 minutes, Brunson will look to take down Holland early and often and keep it on the ground as his strike defense is only 54%. If he can grind out another win over a top prospect, the number seven Brunson could find himself in a good position to challenge for the title. Kevin Holland, 28 years old, six foot three with an 81 inch reach. He's 21 and five with 11 knockouts and six submissions. He grew up between California and Ontario, and he was inspired to pursue a career in MMA after watching George St. Pierre beat Tiago Alves at UFC 100. After compiling an amateur record of five and zero, oh, he turned pro in 2015, going 12 and three while fighting for the LFC, LFA, King of the Cage, and Bellator before finally making his UFC debut in 2018, losing a decision to Tiago Santos at UFC 227. He bounced back with a rear naked choke over John Phillips and a hard-fought win over Gerald Mearshart before losing via rear naked choke to Brendan Allen. He was supposed to face Jack Hermanson as a last-minute replacement for Darren Till, but was sidelined when he contracted COVID-19 and was replaced himself by Marvin Vittori, in what turned out to be a star-making performance. Nevertheless, Holland himself had a banner year, with a record tying five wins, including a submission slam of Charlie Ontiveros, a decision win over Darren Stewart, and a highlight reel knockout of Anthony Hernandez, Joaquin Buckley, and Jacare Souza, which impressively came from the ground. The 2020 Breakout Fighter of the Year, the Trailblazer is a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with a dynamic kickboxing game, Power in both hands, a solid chin, and the ability to put his opponent out with one shot. He's 8-2 and two in the UFC, and his only losses have come at light heavyweight. Will this be another explosive win for Holland as he continues his scintillating rise up the rankings? Or will Brunson continue his streak of stopping hot prospects dead in their tracks and prove that he's still among the elite of the middleweight division? Tune in tonight and let's find out. Thank you for that, Tony, and thank you, Joe, for putting all that together. Joe, but who? Hey, is uh, as just, just out of curiosity, is Holland the only one with a cheerleading scholarship? Yeah, in the as, far as, as far as I know, I heard that. I went, oh, yeah. What well, could have been? You know, you know how much I had to when work to find that, that picture. Went with his backup plan, because <laughs> <laughs> he made a pretty good fighter. Yeah, he actually, believe it or not, was an excellent and outstanding cheerleader uh, uh, and took it really serious. So 
Um, yeah, I, I think he wins this fight. I think uh, he'll do something spectacular, and and he will. You know, look, I think Derek Brunson's a, a gatekeeper in this division right now. Kevin Holland goes 5-0 and last year. I think that streak continues, and I think he does something really brilliant uh, to, to really shake things up and, and really get eyes on him that this guy's real deal and, and, and up to the task of uh, getting to a more elite level in this sport. I like that. I, I, I For me, I, I don't know. I, I feel very weird with Derek Brunson. I feel like he is a very emotional fighter. He's very wild when it, when it comes in. The, he can't really necessarily tell if he wants to knock you out or if he wants to wrestle you. So I, I feel like he – you can – at least what I'm seeing in the ring, I can see that kind of like tearing at him because – and with that, he does put himself in positions where top guys like Adesanya took advantage. Guys like this can take advantage. Is Holland the top guy? I, I don't think so. I, I Well, definitely not yet. Can he get there? I, I think this is a perfect stepping stone. I don't think he's there now. I, I think Brunson is the perfect fight for someone like this. I think Holland has what it takes to eventually get there. But, yeah, I, I'm a Take Holland just because I I don't feel that comfortable with 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 uh, Derek Brunson. It's just it's hard for me to pick him. W- w- what you got, Jared? We're all taking the same guy here. Okay, I'll take Holland over Brunson too. I think um, these are big middleweights. Um, I think Holland a little bit like I was saying about Cyril Gang a few weeks ago leaves less windows to get himself in trouble. He's a harder guy to get to get in trouble, and uh, I, I like him to beat Brunson. I'd take Holland here, yeah. I'll say this. I think anybody who doesn't think that Khabib is a GOAT probably doesn't like Kevin Holland and probably uh, also doesn't like Cyril Gaon. They don't want to see or a Muhammad smart Ali or Floyd right. Mayweather. You or don't want to watch a safe, smart fighter who doesn't necessarily need to take risks. Can do something spectacular. We know he can. We've seen it. But chooses to fight smart. That's why they're successful. You know, I think one of my biggest cracks on on Justin Gaethje, as I've told you guys for the last year or so now, when I saw Justin Gaethje say he didn't want to be the best fighter, one of the most entertaining fighter, I thought that's a problem. Yeah, because Khabib doesn't care how he wins. Khabib just wants to walk out of there the winner. And you're worried about putting on a show of some kind? Like, no, bad idea. And I, look, I think in this fight, I, I think, um, no, there you go. Uh, Brunson's indecisiveness has led to him getting out and knocked out five times again and hitter like Holland could be a factor. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, I think Kevin Holland is part of this new group of guys that can do a lot of different things. And, You know, we've talked about the old one-trick pony. They're barely hanging on here, and I think this is a. I think this is this fight's going to be a perfect example of the next generation of what it takes to win fights in the UFC. That's what these guys were. That's what these guys were saying on Stir the Pot that they liked Matt Hughes over Khabib. It was Matt Hughes, and there was another wrestler type that is just totally different skill set that's a wrestler you're talking about a wrestler versus like a hybrid fighter he's got so many more things he can do it's totally totally different skill set 
it, um, and, that, and that's just to say, dude, like I, you again, say, is one of those guys. If you watch any fight Khabib's ever been in, he's dominated it. There's, I mean, from the from the bear when he was a kid to his last fight, bro, I, I he mean, beats you up and talks to Dana White saying, "Give me a title yeah. shot." Like what? What the hell else? Again, dude, him. Him deciding he wouldn't break Justin Gaethje's arm in front of his mom and dad, so he switched it to a chokeout, tells you this guy's on a different level than anybody totally else. different level. And that's the thing that got me worst about what they were saying is, is, is who he should fight next. Because I look through those names, and I don't see anybody there that I'm like, ooh, there's a guy Khabib wouldn't just totally handle and run through. That the guy that guy doesn't exist. Let's at least wait a year or two, and when that undefeated guy that's running through everybody comes along, then we can start speculating that Khabib maybe didn't do enough. But for right now, he's on that list all day, man, all day. And no, none of those guys excite me to even see him fight them. Like you said, he's sitting at home watching those fight going. Unless you let me fight them both. I'll smash either one of right. those guys. Maybe <laughs> some kind of three-way battle or something. Because, yeah, dude, he's fought and he's dominated everybody. For anybody, I bet you that guy could out-cheerlead me. <laughs> anybody who thinks Conor McGregor should ever get a shot at Khabib again is is fooling themselves. Confused, yeah. That wouldn't that fight. I, I'll tell you right now, I guarantee Khabib, if they ever fought again, will take him out within two minutes with a choke. Hmm. He will he will tear him to the ground, and he will choke his ass out that quick just to put it to rest. Not that he'll ever have to show us or do it, but he he's capable of doing it. Hmm. Like I said about Ortiz, he's safer than he probably has to be. If you said three minutes, get that guy out of there. Five minutes, give Khabib one round with anybody in his weight class and say you have to finish in those five minutes. He does it. He does it. He, he throws the safety out the window and smashes and first round. Hell, I, give I don't think anybody Khabib makes it out. I need to get it done. Yeah, well. <laughs> but, uh, all right. Then it depends on the guy. <laughs> yeah, then it depends on the guy. <laughs> but uh, speaking of guys, Jared, your guy, Arthur Baturbiev. Is defending his WBC and IBF uh, championships against Adam Denies Deans. Um, They're saying Deans. I've heard it pronounced Deans, Adam okay. Deans. All right, Joe, break it down for us. Archer Paterbiev is 36 years old, six feet tall, a 73 inch reach. He is 15 and 0, 15 knockouts. He hails from Dagestan, but he now fights out of Montreal, Canada. Eh? He's a decorated amateur career, including a silver medal at the 2007 World Championships. He had gold at the 2009 World Championships and gold again at the 2006 and 2010 European Championships, all while competing in the light heavyweight division. He won his professional debut via a second-round TKO over Christian Cruz. In 2014, Paterbiev stopped light heavyweight prospect Jeff Page Jr. in two rounds, winning the vacant IBF North American and NABO light heavyweight titles. In November 2017, he knocked out Enrico Colling to win the vacant IBF light heavyweight title. Uh, Baturbiev has now uh, defended his title three more times since then, including a 10th round knockout and a great fight, by the way, against Alexander Vazdek. That was his last fight, which was in October of 2019. He did have a bout with COVID. Um, 
this this guy is uh, known for his uh, exceptional power punching, having won all of his fights, obviously, by knockout or stoppage. He has a great gas tank. He applies a very mauling pressure, capable of throwing a thousand punches in a fight, comes in combination form, could put you out with either hand, but that right cross is among the most accurate and deadly in all of the sport. Adam Deans is 35-11, a 71-and-a-half-inch reach, 19-and-1, 10 knockouts. He was born in Russia. He fights out of Germany. He's a crafty southpaw turned pro in 2015. In his 14th fight, he won the IBF Intercontinental title with a unanimous decision win over Elio Herman Rafael. Two fights later, he won the vacant World Boxing Council International Silver Light Heavyweight title. And two fights later, he did suffer the first uh, loss of his career, unanimous decision to China's Fenlong Meng, who he had dropped actually in the eighth round. Get this, guys. He closed out 2019 with wins over two fighters, a guy who was 1-0, another guy who was 10-12. and 12, And for that, the WBC has made him a mandatory challenger to Baturbiev. What a joke for boxing. Um, WBC blowing it again. Uh, this, 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 uh, I think he blows him out fifth round knockout. Uh, if it even goes that long, agreed. Uh, just came up with this. What do you call a penis with a flower in it? Vazdik. Um, so <laughs> that's good. Turbiev is <laughs> got him. <laughs> but Turbiev is a lot better than Dean's. Um, the odds are what is a hundred dollar bet on Baturbiev win you? Pop quiz. Nine dollars. Two. Come on. Two bucks. Yeah. Hundred dollars on Baturbiev will win you. Two dollars. Um, so yeah, I'm not. I mean, Jace, you going with the upset here? Hell no, dude. Yeah. <laughs> no, Hell no. no. I'm not that dumb. Uh, <laughs> neither one of them's Mexican. Just take the safe one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> take the safe one. Yeah. But Baturbiev is going to destroy this guy. I mean, this, this guy has no business being in the ring with a professional heavyweight champion. Uh, I mean, this is, again, this is, this is the problem with the WBC. This kind of stuff. Um, uh, the guy that, um, who just fought? Oh my goodness, Canelo. Yes, uh, Avril Yazlam, who who had lost his previous fight and was inactive for a year. Somehow the WBC was like number one contender. This guy. That made right with the WBC. Well, I'm these, are, these are these are two of my favorite guys. That's the other thing is Paterbiev and Ortiz are two of, and we saw Cyril Gain last week. I have these guys that are like, this is the guy with the skill set to be that guy, you know. And it and it uh, when it happens early enough, Justin Gagey. I think I saw his fourth pro fight, and I was like, this guy is going to go a long way. You know, and so when you watch him, that and Virgil Ortiz and uh, Baturbiev, I, I was a fan of in the amateurs. This is one of the strongest guys in the game. Outright, not pound for pound. He's a little bit lighter than those big guys, but this is one of the strongest. Uh, Scully trains this guy, by the way. This is one of the strongest guys in the game. 
you know, not for nothing, uh, and I don't think I've ever seen this before, but the two our two main guys here uh, in these two boxing matches are a combined 31 and 0 with 31 knockouts. Mm. 16 and 15 respectively. That is My guys. These guys are blowing people out of the water. This is going to be an easy easy win right here. Yeah. Oh, but Turby ever walked through Bevel. He put his head on a bevel. <laughs> uh, <Live> on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, you know, again, this is it's like this is the fight no one's asking for. Yeah. Except for the WBC for clearly monetary reasons. Yep. Not cool. Not cool again. It, it really sucks demand. that this is 3 p.m. on a Saturday during March Madness. Because really, like, Baturbiev's that good. You have to see this guy dominate this guy and make it look like this Dean's guy. How we think it's going to go and how it should go. People need to see Baturbiev just dominate and get this Dean's guy out of the ring to put a more respect on boxing. Surprised if it goes five. Yeah, but Baturbiev's going to dominate. I only gave him the five because in looking, and I'll tell you what, uh, and, and Tony will tell you, looking up Dean's, dude, it was really hard to find a lot of info on him. This is a man who, <laughs> I kid you not, he doesn't even have a not Wikipedia a lot of footage page. on the number one contender. <laughs> oh, no, there's really, there's not much to find on him. There wasn't a lot of information. Again, he's been more or less inactive. Those last two fights were against nobodies. Um is street beefs? Yeah. <laughs> where, so, where am I? Yeah, crazy. Oh, oh but uh, he's yeah, off the grid. He's off the grid. Yeah, uh, the, the WBC picked him up on the side of a Home Depot. Home, get in the van, <laughs> make a couple bucks, get your ass beat. But Just uh, set up a table and got some applications filled out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but all right. That's going to do it for the fights this weekend. we got a lot. But we're going to end the show like we always do. Jared, hit us with that flurry. This week's flurry is going to be the uh, first of the Scrub Scrap Spotlight segment. And our first person to be spotlighted on Scrub Scrap Spotlight during the flurry is Vice President of Scrub Scraps, Chris Dizzle-Mesconi. Hey. How you doing, brother? You got a mute? There we go. What's going on, hey, y'all? Hey, doing good, brother. How you been? Good, good. Just been sitting back enjoying the show. You guys are uh, definitely on one. <laughs> <laughs> My man. Thank you. Yeah, I, uh, Everybody uh, wrote up a couple questions for you to try to figure out a little bit more about our, our organization, Scrub Scrap. So, uh, so I guess I'll start. Um, describe one of the moments that you realized Scrub Scraps wasn't just a fight club. Um, that, for me, I guess kind of came with my growth as a man and as an adult. I mean, this is something that when we first started it, I mean, we were, I was young. Of course, I've always been one of the younger guys in the crew. Um, but going from that 18 to 24 range and then being involved from 24 to 30, I think, is when I started making that leap 
Um, and for me, it was when I stopped fighting and began the organizational side of things and refing the events and getting connected with the people on the level of, you know, wanting to help them and, and so on. So for me, it, it kind of grew as I grew. Mm. So as a founding member, let me ask you this. I've had this conversation with both of you, but we'll do it on air. For you, who is the ideal candidate, somebody who you think should and could benefit from coming into Scrub Scraps? Um, first and foremost, probably somebody who's never been punched in the face. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, somebody who's just never been tested in that, that area of life or um, that doesn't maybe fit um, kind of like the social stigma of today, the outsider, um, perfect place to come build camaraderie and kind of get some life experiences. Everybody should probably experience, you know, their limits somehow, whether it's, you know, they, they might shock themselves. So you take one in the jaw pretty good and snap back like, wait, you know, I, I can do this. So. Diz, uh, Jared and I sparred one time and it went pretty well. As soon as he punched me in the face, everything slowed down and my eyes opened up. And I, I thought I really got to start watching this dude's hands and his head to see when he's going to punch me in the face again. And right after that, it got a lot better. Uh, but he did tag me one last time in the, in the rib cage. And for like three weeks, dude, I was like, Oh, he really stung me good. Um, what 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 is what is your fight experience uh, been like, and and what what does it do for you mentally when you're in there? Um, for me, um, I've always considered myself athletic. Played multiple sports growing up. Um, for me, it just kind of reaffirmed some of that ability that I had or thought I had. Um, mentally, it's just a camaraderie, you know. I. I've always kind of jumped around through different crowds of people. And I think for me being in those groups like that and diversity and all that stuff going on, like it's just an awesome thing. So you said you were athletic and you played sports growing up. How is scrub scraps different from those organized sports growing up? Um, first and foremost, it's not about your athletic ability. It's actually something on the back burner mm -hmm. of the whole ordeal is you're not going to show up you don't need to try out there's no level you need to be at none of those normal casts of what goes on you know it's like people walking into an amateur boxing gym because they want to figure it out wrong place to, to figure out what's going on um so for me that that's it right there damn that was a great answer brother Right, because the whole point is basically that I mean, you're you're not you're fighting people at at a similar skill level. If, if you've exactly. never done it, you're fighting someone who's never done it as well, and you're going to be evenly matched up. And again, the idea is not to go in there. You're not. This isn't Mike Tyson's punch out, right? Yeah, I, if yeah, I, I, sure. No, no uppercuts, right? We're just yeah, in we're there. Not, we're not, not going to throw you out there like some you know blood sport. We don't want to see anybody get hurt we don't want to see anybody laying on the floor drooling on themselves like that's not the point of any of it and that's also been something for us to focus on going forward as we try to give this to the world that you know it's not about who can crush who and get you an amateur fight somewhere if we come across talent by all means whatever we can do to promote you to the next level get you going anything sure but it's not about 
I, I don't want, you know, Chuck Norris style guy in there that's like, oh, you put this guy in there and he's just going to eat his lunch every time. Like, it's not about any of that. Um, so this question came from Erica. I had her, I asked her, uh, which I should ask you, and it came specifically from my wife. Um, we were friends before Scrub Scraps, and we'll be friends if it doesn't work out. But what effect do you think Scrub Scraps has had on our personal relationship? It's given us another avenue to bond on something productive. Um, coming from where we've come from, um, we've had a lot of unhealthy bonding situations growing up and stuff we may have been involved in or not. But this is something that's positive. It's it's good for others as, as much as it's good for us. It's a solid foundation on life. And, and we can also, I mean, as, you're my brother. So, and, and I know you love me and, and we're, we're not afraid to tell each other. I've watched many segments, you know, on here in the flurry. And, you know, it's, you've always shouted me out and shown me love. I think for us together, it's something productive, positive that we can give back to the communities. You know, I'm down here in Florida, you're in Connecticut. I mean, obviously, Connecticut's the first target that we, we really want to get things going in. And for us, it's just something healthy and positive, you know? Uh, before the whole water work starts, obviously, you guys just lost one of your guys. Uh, someone who meant a lot to both of you who was involved with this from the get-go. I know in speaking with Jared, Chris, that, you know, I know he's been a little beside himself about it. Uh, we talked about some ways where we could honor him going forward. Uh, I think he's had similar conversations with you about it. Um, when when you when you find people in in this sort of a situation where you know, maybe they've tried rehab, they've tried therapists, and how how does scrub scraps in the situation of a person like with an addiction problem? What is the benefit to a place like Scrub Scraps? If you can kind of give it get a little detail as to what the mindset is at, at what we're doing here. There's no program. There's no outline to a program. There's no 30-day detox. There's no 60-day do this. There's no levels. You come in, you're yourself. We're not going to judge you. We're not going to put any stigmas on what you're doing. Every time you fall down, we're going to be there to pick you up. And that's it. We're not going to ever close the door on you. Um, I believe that's for other areas and other people's within family. I don't believe in enabling anybody, but I don't. And one thing I've learned from from our, our friend Diddy um, and all this stuff going on is that you never want to close the door completely um, doing what we're doing, um, because we want to always be inclusive to everybody. Um. We also have the advantage, just to piggyback off his answer, of uh, having people that have been there before. You know, not only are you welcome and not going to be judged for your shortcomings, but there will inevitably be someone there who has been through a similar situation, no matter what you're going through. Uh, I mean, and I would think, Jared, that that would be for somebody going through the worst moments of their life to, to come somewhere where... There are people who have been there, done that, and can relate to you and can show you this. Again, you know, the when Jared first told me about Scrub Scraps, I was like, 
not sure if I'm following all this. Um, you know, it was just like a fight club of some sort, Man. you know? Um, and, and again, you know, as you get to know Jared and for anybody who watches this show and watches the flurry, you understand the, the, the psychological elements of all of this and, and those basic human needs. And, you know, I think, I mean, I've watched a lot of the fights. I know a lot about scrub scraps. I'm, you know, I only joined the party in the, in about the last year or so, uh, with, with Jared and, and, and you and I've been friends now for uh, a little over a year. So, um, I think this organization is great. I uh, pretty pretty much from the get go told Jared whatever I could do. Um, you know, I'm in. I want to see this thing launched, and I'm glad we're using this platform uh, in order to get that message out there to to get the process started. Um, where or are we? How close is everything to being uh, kickoff, Jared? Where are we at with that? Is that? We uh, sent out the 501c3 a couple weeks ago. So if they approve the uh, to expedite it, it's another month or two. And if it, even if they don't, it's a uh, six month max till we till we have some kind of answer. So this year, I would hope to have things up and up and going out one for the end of the year. Yeah. One well, so Jared, you know, Chris, Jared pointed out um, the other day we were talking, and, and he talked about the people that he's put together to help him get this thing up and going. And um, I was honored to be one of those people that's involved. You obviously, you guys go back a million years. Um, I, I loved, I love the relationship that you guys have. And I, and I think that, um, you know, I hope we could display that a little bit more. Um, and, and I know we, we were putting some, uh, some scrub scrap videos together. I'd love to see people just see the interaction between you guys to really understand what scrub scraps is about. And when you talk about being able to relate to these people and having gone through some stuff to, to see what it's like to see videos of these fights and all these people out around the ring and, and, you know, again, when you think of fighting, you think of violence. But when you're watching these fights, that's not what you're seeing. You're not seeing violence. You're seeing jubilation. You're seeing people who are win or lose, who feel really good about themselves for having succeeded at something, for having put their their time and efforts in. And, and again, to get their mind right mm. and focused on something. And mm. I and, and for that, Chris, I think what you guys are doing is amazing. Thank you. Well, and Thank I say you. hitting is touching too. I had a whole flurry that was on hitting is touching too. There's a large demographic, a lot larger than the general public would like to admit that aren't really good at touching, that that's a form of touching that actually makes sense to us. And that when you cross that level, you know, the hugs and I love yous came after we punched each other in the face. And I mean, um, I, you know, outside now, outside of the you know, you had mentioned you sparred with Jared earlier. Um, me and Jared did have a fight together. I want to throw this out there. Um, and uh, I did win a round. Uh, actually, I want to judge a scorecard. Wait a minute. Time out. No, not judge a scorecard. Ronnie! Like, let's be real. I mean, whatever. But I did win one judge a scorecard. Uh, just throwing that out. I think it was like 30 28, you know, probably. <laughs> Um, Diz, he did say you were going to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get him in when I can. Uh, and I think the most important thing about our, our brotherhood besides that is, um, 
you know, I've brought it to that point. We've been in that point together where we needed to test each other's limits um, early on in our friendship. I caught a stiff jab right in the chin, um, squared up, you know, like getting heated. You square up with each other and pop. And I'm like, oh, where did that even come from? So, I mean, you know, you get to those points, but we set those boundaries so early that going forward in our relationship, it's like we went from this place where we were at the bottom. And I don't mean like, you know, we weren't gang bangers or this and that, but we weren't in a good place. And we were, you know, we were in, we were hard headed kids. And what we've grown together is why our relationship is what it is. And we've matured together. And, um, you know, I, when you get somebody in your life that is, you know, for you and wants to see you succeed and, and can tell you they're invested in your happiness and success, you got to hang on to those people and grow with them because. You don't get so many people's own families, you know, can't even give them that. So Jared Jones is, is, is one of those people where, and I have two other buddies like this, where everybody I meet through him is an amazing person, um, doing amazing things, you know, or the kind of people where, um, you know, I, 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 Again, I don't want to start the waterworks here, but, you know, Chris, you had a suicide like a year ago or so. Um, yeah. I had one a few months ago and, uh, you know, Chris reached out. Uh, you know, we barely kind of knew each other and we, we were in a fantasy league. We we knew Jared, you know, uh, had been working on the, the board of Scrub Scraps uh, and reached out and offered up that, you know, that's very personal. And, and again, it's like when, when I get, and this is why I love Jared to death. When you get people like Jared and 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 Jace and and yourself, people like that in your life, I love people like that. Those are the you know those are that's what I consider family is the people that you count on. You know, um, my brother Tony, I love this guy to death. The the amount of research my brother puts into making sure that this show uh, has all the info it needs to break every fight down and and what he contribute. These are the kind of people you want in your life. Like you said, Chris, people who you 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 know that they they've got your best interest at heart, and sometimes over their own. One hundred percent. And that's the kind of place I think anybody who's in need of help to know that a place like Scrub Scraps exists should at least give you the kind of hope that it's not hopeless. Yeah. Very well said. Yeah, and we'll never shut the door on you. That's, that's it. That's a. Uh, you are. Uh, you got something you want to ask, Jace? Let's say something, say something stupid so I don't cry now. Okay. Let's uh <laughs> let, let's try and bring this full circle. You said the big thing with scrub straps is wanting to get punched in the face. I mean, like needing to get not necessarily needing, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, what's yeah, but like after getting punched, how is it different to have a friend like Jared that you've been punched in the face by to another friend like what's the difference between that friend that you've made this connection with by getting punched in the face to a friend that you're uh, just friends with you know uh, you know it's probably nothing to do with the physical part of getting punched no um, yeah i think there's some mental thing that happens and maybe this is more with men but it's alpha thing and i think that you guys kind of square up and you want to see if you're really about it or not and once you know that about somebody, you know, then you, it's kind of different. It's it's a gateway into side. Maybe not the healthiest. I mean, maybe that's not the way to start a friendship. 
but um, I think it's a gateway to lead in. It's a foundation, you know, and it's somewhere to go. Yeah. You can only go up from there, right? I mean, you kick his ass or, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, where do you go from there? Well, and I said a lot of people, that's the only touching a lot of large demographic out there. That's the only okay. touching they can handle. That breaks the ice to get us to, to hugging and talking and all that other stuff. You said we'll never slam the door. You could come in and always have somebody to talk to. You said, Joe, that's the other beauty of it. It's like, there's no program. You don't have to talk about nothing. We will just wrap your wrists up, make you feel powerful, do some pad work. You could talk when you want to talk. Yeah, that's I've worked with out. people sometimes months, months, and then it, all of a sudden, this crap spills out of them. Sure, you know, I, I think... I think when you're going through some stuff and you don't know who you can trust and maybe you don't feel like you can trust anybody and maybe you've been burned by a lot of people and you don't trust people and you get brought into an organization like, yay, I'm just there to feel good. Strat, you know, uh, uh, tape me up. Let me get out there and, you know, feel, feel, feel what that's like. Um, yeah. I think anytime people start to feel included and feel safe that, of course, you're going to look at it, somebody like Jared Jones and just be like, I'm going to tell you all my problems now. Can I do that? <laughs> and we cry for like the next 20 minutes. And Jared does that. I've done that with Jared. I will tell you one other thing, Jace. He told me he was going to punch me in the face while we were sparring. It started off kind of dancing around. He was kind of making sure I got the footwork down. And then a couple of jabs, jabs, a couple of jabs, jabs. And he was like, I'm going to hit you in the face. He wanted me to know it was going to happen, and it did. And again, we had, you know, we were wearing helmets, we were wearing gloves. I mean, it, it hit me, and it rang my bell for sure. But I remembered before we started, he talked about when you get punched in the face, one of two things could happen. Number one, it's going to slow down and open your eyes, and you're going to really start thinking about what's going on. Or number two, you're just going to start wildly swinging. And probably get yourself knocked out in, in, in a real-world situation. So for me, when it happened and he punched me in the face, um, I believe it was just a, a good stiff left jab. It, like, opened my eyes, and I thought, I don't want him to punch me in the face again. So I'm going to have to, and we're, I don't even know, if, we didn't necessarily have the round, the round time. We didn't have a timer. So this thing was going to go on as long as he wanted it to. Maybe he wanted to punch me in the face <laughs> one more time. Maybe this ring's going to go like eight more minutes if it has to. You know, all the dancing and, and bobbing and weaving I'm doing. Maybe he's just waiting. But as soon as he hit me, I became a lot more aware of, and, and really everything sort of slowed down and I felt calmer and I would see his hand and anticipate and move away from it. And that's what we sort of talked about was the idea of, feeling in control in I've been in three real fights in my life, street fights, so to speak. Um, and they all ended pretty quickly. They all ended more or less with me, the victorious one in the fight, but I had never been literally standing toe to toe to somebody looking to exchange blows. And, and I think what Jared was talking about was right. The idea that when you're in a fight for your life situation, whether it's with drugs or standing there with another fighter or it's any other sort of suicidal thoughts or depression that, that you face that stuff head on. You got to see it clearly. And I, and I think for me, this is sort of what they mean when you get punched in the face that 
again, you've got two options here. You can either, all right, that is, you know, I think of Chris Tucker, which one of y'all motherfuckers just hit me. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was sort of that to like, all right, you know, what Jared was saying, like, watch, you got to follow, you got to anticipate when you, you, you got to, as soon as I got hit, Jace, it all kicked in and it was like, all right, no, I get this now. And it's not happening again. Um, as a matter of fact, I think the, the left to the ribs was me actually moving away from something. I think he actually faked head and then came body, which is a little advanced is. I thought for a first time sparring. A level change. A level change to bury one into my ribs. I thought it was kind of shady, but... <laughs> well, and if and, and if I asked you, if I asked you to outline your reaction when you run into, you're not somebody who I would say is in danger, has these wild, outlandish issues that really need to be dealt with. No, you know, not to put put levels sure. on it. No, but, I feel what you're saying. Yep. But if I asked you to really describe the way that you react when life punches you. You're going to say a lot of the same stiff stuff. I take a step back. I analyze. I say, how is how am I going to avoid that happening to me again? So from my perspective, with the psych, with the psych background, and when I touch and see the reaction, I can make my diagnosis. Because you're forced into however you react you're not able to think it over and go oh well i don't really want to react like that you get hit your instincts come out and i get to see them and i know what happens when you face adversity and i see all of your problems in that first 10 or 15 seconds based on the way you instinctually react when an issue confronts you you know and that is how you that's that's the way you reacted is part of where you're trying to build to instead of flailing every time something hits you instead of hiding every time something hits you assess the situation and try to make better choices you did that right away it's in your material it's in your makeup you've grown yourself to this point in your life to where that's something you're capable of you know there's a lot of people they're not they get confronted and they react you know <laughs> and it, Sports well, I like to think I like to that. think too, though, that twenty-year-old me probably would have um, just started like throwing haymakers back in your direction after, after you me. punched me in yeah. the face. Yeah, I'll get this because that's how that's how my three fights in my life went previous. Somebody stepped to me, threw a punch, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> you're done," you know. And it was wailing <laughs> on them until somebody pulled me off them. Um, you know, so again, like I said, this was a very different situation. This is the first time I stood toe to toe where we like lined up and it was like, it's on. And now you really got to start thinking about everything, not only the defense, but your own offense, right? All of a sudden you can't just be reactive because if you're just being reactive, Diz, it's going to be a long day, right? Yeah, you you'll be, be sitting there like, oh, okay. And just like life, you'll make the same mistakes over Bam. and over and over, over and over again. How many times are you going to get punched in the face before you, you can go to jail over and over and over again. You can cut yourself over and over again. You can drink over and over and over again. You can sniff Coke over and over and over again. But when there are punches in the face and they come right away, you want to change something. And those changes you instinctively learn how to apply to other parts of your life. I think that's that's it in a nutshell. 
right there. <laughs> yep. That's what Great it is. Great segue for my last <laughs> question. You guys ready to wrap it up? Yeah. Yep. Dizzle, have you ever thought perhaps your efforts were in vain? There were times, from my perspective, you were the only one who believed in scrub scraps and I was ready to give up. And you were the one that dragged me through those times. Did you ever think that it was a waste, that we weren't going to get there, that your efforts were in vain? No. No, I think I think maybe somewhere far back in my mind there was doubt. I mean, of course. Um, and when we had to stop doing things the way that we did, um, yeah. But for me, um, I've always seen you as the guy with this plan here with Scrub Scraps. So I feel like maybe I can be the motor, but you're the car. Like, you can get us there. You know what I mean? And, and for me, when we had that conversation and I had to tell you, you know, if we're going to continue to just post videos recklessly and not do this the right way, that I couldn't be a part of it anymore. For me, that was my way to push you to do it the right way because I knew you could. And I've told you a hundred times that I couldn't go in there and give, in the beginning phases, when you met with Chase and Concepcion and all these guys to start the process, USA Boxing, um, even now the 501c3, all these things that if we didn't have you doing this, we couldn't, we wouldn't be where we are now. So that initial point of when maybe there was initial doubt because I couldn't see how I would get it done. But telling you in a way and hoping, I mean, and if anything, it spoke to our friendship. It spoke to how much you value my friend. Again, just signing a check that you wrote to me before and I'm cashing it. it that you care about me being your boy and what I think. And that was tough because you didn't want to, <laughs> I know you didn't want to do it. And we went back and forth, you know, and nine times out of 10, you lot, put some logic on it. And I'm like, all right, all right, I have to back off the ledge, you know, and this one, I didn't back off the ledge, but I, I knew that if anybody was going to get this thing legitimized and we were going to be able to really do some good things that I had to get you focused on how we were going to do it the right way and continue on all those other things. I think a lot of it too was just when we started doing this to leave, to do it legally and everything and get sponsorships and backing um, for us as well. At that time, we had started living different lives um, and we're on different paths from where we had began with this. So, Again, it's like it's like a total growth thing. It's it's weird how, and I don't think I've analyzed it like that before. With even talking, I mean, we've talked about this a million times, and, and all of it always <laughs> makes sense. But it's like, man, we grew up with this thing, from being ignorant teenagers and crazy to adults and doing it the right way. And um, I mean, this is your baby, one hundred percent, and. Um, Nobody was going to be able to deliver it the way you did. We can carry it on once you set it up, brother. <laughs> you said <laughs> to me a few weeks out. ago, 
really broke me down. You said a few weeks ago, um, I was like, I wonder why it feels like that for me. And you said, because it's the only thing from that life you could bring with you. No matter how you change the makeup of the drugs or the depression or the street fights or the sleeping around, whatever it is that we were doing in our younger years, no matter how you make it look different. You know, this was the one thing we could put a different face on and bring with us into a happy and healthy and functional adult life. Um, and sorry, guys, when you consider all the things we weren't able to bring with us, it just makes it all the more special and important. I love you, brother. Thank you for coming on. I love you, too. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks for joining us. Hey. I love wiffle ball. No other way to explain it. Just something about the game. The feel of the grass. Smacking the ball all over the field. Making plays. Diving head first, whatever it takes to get the job done. That's what wiffle ball means to me. Striking out grown men. Watching their knees buckle on a call third strike set out bud and then of course the home runs the base hits the big big home runs at the big moments that's a whiff of greatness join us all season long for the Joe Aguirre story a CMG podcast We have a nice touching little flurry there, and then we get to see Joe try hard like Ken Griffey out on the the wolf ball. I like that comparison. I appreciate that. (laughs) All right. uh, All right. But uh, thank you, Joe and Jared, for joining me. Uh, Thanks, Diz, for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you on. Um, I'm Big Jace. Thank you guys all for sticking out the two hours with us. I can't believe we did it two hours, damn. Impressive. But uh, yeah, enjoy the fights. We got a fight coming up here soon with uh, Baturbiev in a couple hours. So make sure you tune into that as well as enjoy the UFC, the Ortiz versus Hooker. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for listening. And we hope to see you next week for more Throne Jabs. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our main event. 